At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Indeed, it does. And live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Tyler Matheson, and tonight for Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, you will hear from the biggest Tesla bull on Wall Street. ARK Invest Kathy Wood will be with us. Why she says this stock could be headed to $15,000 a share. There you see it today at 734. Plus, we are all over tonight's big after our movers, Peloton, Qualcomm, Young China, Yum China, all on our radar uh, after reporting results earlier today. And later, we will reveal tonight's mystery chart. The stock has been on a roller coaster over the past year, but Dan thinks it is primed to pop, and we will bring you that name and more. But we begin with that biggest stock story of the day, the week, the months, the year so far. Just had its worst day in eight years. After a company executive warned the coronavirus outbreak in China could delay deliveries, Tesla slumping 17 percent. Today's pullback follows a nearly 40 percent surge on Monday and Tuesday. So is Tesla's record run? Guy finally run out of juice. Well, I'm not going to pretend to answer that question because obviously we don't know. But let's just take the last two days in context. When you had a stock that typically trades 12 million shares a day, has traded over 100 million shares from Monday and Tuesday. And obviously we had some volume again today. So a lot of people have been blown out on the short side, a lot of new people in. So for the short term, I think that's as close to a capitulatory top or a blow-off top as you're going to see. Doesn't mean the move is over by any stretch, and we have somebody on that's going to speak to that. But in the short term, I think you saw everything you need to see in terms of stock maybe retracing the levels we last saw a month ago. The only problem is, is that this stock burns off a relative strength index of overbought really quickly. So the, when the, this whole move started in the 300s, it took about six days to burn off the RSI of a reading of 70 or, or greater. So this was the most overbought it's ever been, obviously, on a, on a chart. And right now, it's a reading of 66. So it's no longer overbought. So which means that it can unwind. The sell-off today was enough that it's unwinded on a technical basis, the overbought status, which means that it potentially can move higher from here again. Karen, how do you take apart today's sell-off? Is it, is it partly that? Is it partly uh, the, the idea that coronavirus is going to catch up with them in China? Is it partly a story in the Wall Street Journal this morning that likened Tesla to some of the high-flyer stocks of, the, of 2000, 2001? I think, well, yesterday afternoon there was some very bizarre activity, right? It hit 968 and then closed down about, yeah. I, I don't know how Off much that. from there. Yeah. And so where it closed today is $230 lower than where it is at 345 yesterday. That is just absurd. That is ridiculous. <coughs> Excuse me. I think also we had a little bit of negative news, but it can't, I mean, you know, on Model 3 delays in China because of coronavirus, I, that doesn't matter. I mean, relative to this, this story, I think it's so dangerous on either side. I don't know how, I mean, it's, it seems like they hit escape velocity and are no longer 
you know, subject to gravity or valuation or anything like that. I know we'll have Kathy Wood on, and she's she's been right. She's been right. So. Well, I'll just say this. It's, it's obviously been a very controversial name, and it kind of bleeds right into the CEO and, and the governance and a lot of things that have been you know, debated, I think, on Twitter for the last few years and, and, and kind of in a fairly violent way. And I would just say that that move that we've just seen over the last couple of weeks was kind of equally violent, and it feels like the fever did break a little bit. We, you, know, you mentioned, Tyler, you know, going back 20 years, you know, some of us remember um, this sort of activity. It didn't end well for most of these names. And then when you think about just the valuation situation here, if you were a long-term bull, I I'm not certain, aside from the mark-to-market profits that you have this week or last week, you feel great about this activity because if history shows anything, this activity, like I said, has not ended well. And this is a company that obviously, you know, they're just expected to grow sales 30% a year. Some bulls may have, you know, uh, much more uh, kind of bullish assumptions about that sort of thing. But we have to see this sort of profitability. We haven't seen profitability until just this last couple quarters. And that's really going to be the story. So I guess my take is, is that history has not been kind to this sort of stock market activity. Uh, that being said, this could be different this time. How's that? I'll leave it at that. <laughs> People to say it's different this time. You oh, you yeah. caught that? Okay. Yeah, that's, okay. that's a fortune cookie yeah, stuff. All right, we talked about uh, Tesla bulls, and we're going to meet one in just a moment. In fact, one of the biggest ones on the street. Uh, but, but to preface that, Tesla's wild ride has left many of the analyst community in the dust. Check out where analysts stood just a year ago on this stock. Average price star- target was roughly $300 a share, just above where shares were trading at the time. Today, the average price target is closer to 500 a share, and that's more than 30% below where the stock closed today after that distinct sell-off. Next guest thinks Tesla has room to run. In fact, she thinks Tesla could hit $15,000 a share within the next four years. Let's bring in ARK Invest CEO and founder Kathy Wood. Kathy, welcome. I know 15000 a share is not your base case. No. It's, your, it's your reach case. It's what is your case. Base, case base case of where this $700 stock is in four years? Yes, the base case, uh, it's a five-year target, so the end of 24, end of 24 uh, it's right. $7,000. And we have, we've arrived at that price by weighting the probabilities of 10 different scenarios, including bankruptcy, to be mm-hmm. honest. So we've been tried to be as fair and balanced as uh, we possibly could be. But our confidence level that this, is he- this stock is heading for $7,000 over the next five years is very high. So you take out your lowest probability scenarios. You take out uh, the ones that you think are, just aren't going to work or the highly outlandish ones where everything has to click exactly right. Mm-hmm. On what bricks is this $7,000 foundation founded? Is it improving margins? Is it the re- lowering the cost of production of the vehicles as they get up to scale or what? Yes, there are three sources for the increase in our estimate, our estimated price target. Uh, One is, as Tesla killers entered the market last year, we expected uh, Tesla's market share to go down from 17% globally, that includes China, to something lower. Instead, it went up to 18%. And the reason it 17% did, in electric vehicles or in all vehicles? No, electric, electric vehicles. Electric vehicles. Uh, this is global. There, there are many electric vehicle manufacturers right. in China. Very low quality, but very... So what we're learning is Tesla is just so far ahead of the pack. And I'm talking about the BMWs, uh, the Mercedes, uh, uh, as far as range and other important metrics when it comes to electric vehicles. Uh, their battery cost is three years ahead, three to four years ahead of any other auto manufacturer in terms of the cost declines. 
And so every other auto manufacturer will, if they want to be competitive with Tesla, uh, will, ha- and I'm including BMW and Daimler and all, if they want to be competitive, like for like, they will have to sell their cars at a loss at the same time they're losing their internal combustion engine business. So they have a big problem. So, Are you confident enough in their ability to overcome what I would call sort of manufacturing hairballs that have, have struck them in the past and caused them to miss or delay production targets? Uh, so nothing is in a straight line. You can't promise. But uh, what they did in Shanghai was unbelievable. Uh, you know, breaking ground and producing within a year. Uh, and I think they're taking those learnings elsewhere. Uh, in Germany, outside of Berlin, we've been thinking, okay, that's a setup for bureaucracy. Uh, they have been welcomed with open arms because Germany doesn't want to lose the auto industry, right? And they don't want to lose the jobs. So, uh, uh, and now we're hearing potentially about Texas. So we think they're going to surprise uh, on the production side now. It took a lot of trial and error, just like with their Falcon rockets when they were trying to land them. It was failure, 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 then success. And now they've been successful pretty much every time since. So I think they've gotten the manufacturing. Kathy, when you take Tyler's question to the next level, is it, do you dig in and get granular on the opportunities when you look at the some of the parts? Is it going to be panels, autonomous drive, or batteries that are the new breakout? Because when we look to, to Tyler's point, when we look at the cars in production, everyone thinks they're an expert on what they can and can't do with Tesla. But is there going to be shockers going forward where there's going to be a breakout valuation on batteries because their technology is so far advanced? Yeah, I think they uh, acquired a company called Maxwell Technologies, and they've been very secretive about what that is going to do for their battery technology. So what I just said to you does not even incorporate Maxwell. Uh, So, yes, we do think there are surprises on the battery front. They have their own AI chip for autonomous, the only auto manufacturer to have one. And James Wang, who worked at uh, our analyst, who worked at NVIDIA for eight, nine years, uh, took a look at those specs and said four years ahead of anything that NVIDIA is going to be able to produce. Because it's single purpose, it's not general purpose. Uh, So we think they're going to be way ahead of the game on autonomous. And that's where the real surprises are going to be. Because uh, autonomous is a recurring revenue, very high margin, almost software as a service-like opportunity, autonomous taxi networks. And uh, what, what you have baked in the cake from the street primarily are low margin, gross margins, uh, more like auto, you know, in the 25, mm. 30% range. We actually think gross margins, because of their da- battery technology, could head for 40% on the EV itself. And then the incremental revenues from autonomous would be in the 80% plus range. And we think that's what people are missing. And in our $7,000 target, so the scenario testing, we assume only a 25% chance that they're going to be up and running uh, with autonomous within two to three years. Karen, jump in. Yeah, so kudos to you. I mean, you had what I thought was an outlandish uh, target two years ago or one and a half years ago, and here we are. And so you have another one, maybe outlandish, maybe spot on. But let me ask you, when you get to this 7,000, to pick your more moderate case, what's it trading at? As a multiple of earnings or as a... uh, 
what will that what will that valuation then be? So in five years, again, we we don't really operate like that. We're just trying to figure out the cash flows and the do and then discount them. But one of the things that I'd like to focus on is the reason this is such a is going to be such a big upside surprise is because Tesla is riding the convergence of three major innovation platforms. Convergence. It's very hard to analyze this in the traditional world, right? Auto analysts are not robotics experts. They are not artificial intelligence experts or battery experts. Uh, We have three analysts working on this model together. All of them are characterized by exponential growth during the next. We are ready for prime time. The the seeds for what uh, we're we're about to witness now, not just with Tesla, but with genomics, with 3D printing, with everything we do. The seeds were sown during the tech and telecom bubble. The costs back then were way too high to play out for for those, those platforms to play out. The costs have been coming down for 20 years. Mm. We're ready for prime time. These are three exponential growth trends that are converging. And that is why this is so difficult for traditional analysts to value. This is all we do. We do nothing but disruptive innovation because we have never seen as much disruptive innovation evolving at the same time ever. You have to go back to telephone, electricity, internal combustion engine. That's the last time we saw exponential growth on the on the order that we're I going to see. I want to get in right. one quick question yeah. from Dan, one quick answer yeah, from just, you. Just real one. quickly, and this is the you know, near term. Do you expect volatility around earnings? There was in the last couple of years. But, like, for instance, they sold cars at a 450000 annualized rate last quarter, right? Mm -hmm. And when you look at their net income, it all came from selling tax credits. Do you expect that to be a big component of it? And does it look like that at other places around the world? We're expecting um, really a lot of growth to come. Quick answer, please. Yes. Uh, They're going to get a lot of credits from companies like Fiat Chrysler, who's paying them $500 to offset. So we think that, but that's not in our models. We never include subsidies in our models. What we're talking about right now is Tesla is ready for prime time as an AV, an EV, an AV manufacturer. All right, you got to leave it there. Kathy, thank you very much. You've done your homework on this one. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thanks thank you. All right, earnings season rolls on with reports from Peloton, Qualcomm, Yum China, and more this afternoon. Our crack team is here to break down all those numbers. Plus, take a look at shares of Biogen soaring more than 17% today. We will tell you what's behind the big move and where the stock could go from here. Just a reminder. You can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app. It's a lot better than that app they used out in Iowa a couple days ago. You, you, you would hope so. I'm telling you, they, it knows how to count, this app. All right, we're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an earnings whip. Shares of Qualcomm, Yum China, Peloton, 
all on the move in this after-hours session. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down the names. And we're going to kick things off with a big mover right now, and that is Peloton. Diana Olick is in D.C. with the latest on it. Hi, Di. Hi, Ty. Yeah, solid beat for Peloton in its second quarter since going public, but the stock is falling sharply after hours as its revenue guidance for Q3 came in lighter than expected. Still, for Q2, the streaming fitness company reported revenue up 77% annually, driven by a, quote, robust holiday sales period and increased conversion from the home trial launched in September. That allows potential buyers to try the bike at home for 30 days risk-free. It drove higher sales on the website as well as in showrooms and did not have a meaningful impact on Peloton's return rate. And also, apparently, the controversial commercial with the Peloton wife getting the bike for Christmas did not hurt. In fact, the stock bounced back following that 22 percent drop in December, and some analysts said the increased attention from the commercial may have actually helped. Subscribers grew 96 percent year over year. The company lowered the price of its digital-only subscription and ended the quarter with over 109,000 subscribers. It also added Amazon Fire TV and Apple Watch apps. And with the launch in Germany at the end of November, Peloton expanded its potential audience dramatically. Back to you guys. Diana, thank you very much. Who wants to take a shot here at Peloton. A lot um, of us own them. Yes. I like it. I think it has a very nice business model. They sell you a very high-priced bike. Have you ridden they, it yet? I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Yesterday, not this morning. <laughs> not yet today. Uh, but they've also got the subscription model, which is where they make 400 right. bucks a year or whatever. That, I mean, that's the juice. But, you know, I think the, the stock's down because they pretty much said growth at any price is their current business model. And to the extent that you miss growth, which is revenue... Um, or the street is in any way disappointed, that's going to really be painful. They did say on the call, it looks like that they should be closer to guidance moving forward. Well, yeah, that would be, that would be helpful. But I, I love the product. I, I, think, the product. I think the digital but, subscription lowering prices, that probably was on the mind of a lot of different analysts, where at this point in the life cycle, they should have some pricing power and have to move it down from uh, 1950 basically to 1299 doesn't seem like a tremendously bullish call. I think they could have had a little more elasticity in that price going forward. And for it's not a like they don't have competition. I mean, the barrier to entry right. here, whether it's Nordic Track or some other manufacturer or or SoulCycle, yeah. why didn't SoulCycle get in here? I mean, they got to be. Well, they are. I mean, you know, you know yeah. I obviously work out a lot, and so um, I would just tell you, it was. It's <laughs> funny too. everyone laughs. Funny. Yeah, I um, no, but I, I, I would just tell you that was interesting. I was because I was doing a class on the tread. I had the tread this morning, and the instructor actually said, "If you're not on a Peloton bike, so to your point, this recurring." This, this streaming thing is really interesting, except for the fact that all those guys are going to get into it. SoulCycle is going to have an app, I suspect, very soon. So all that competition is coming. And so at the end of the day, if this is the printer, uh, you know, uh, ink model, it right. may be a tough one here. All right, let's move on to Qualcomm. Uh, the stock is in the red after the hour, after hours, and Contessa Brewer is following it for us. Hi, Contessa. Tyler, 5G has been the real driver behind development and investment. On the call, there is an intense focus on the buildup of 5G inventory and anticipated demand. Analysts want to know, are the high expectations realistic? But, of course, coronavirus is dominating, top of mind. First, because Qualcomm relies heavily on China for its supply chain. And the CFO says, look, there's significant uncertainty around what this outbreak will do to the supply chain 
and what it will do for demand for headsets. They're spending a lot of time on this. CEO Steve Mollenkopf says Qualcomm has considered the impact of coronavirus and its forward guidance. The range has been widened and lowered. The mid-range of the EPS guidance coming in just below analyst expectations now, seeing 80 to 95 cents a share versus estimates of 86 cents a share. But of course, all of this is based on limited information because no one at this point can say how long this threat lingers what it could do to demand if people are not out and about. As you can see, that stock now off in extended trading by 3.75, 3.85%. Tyler. Tessa, thank you very much. Let's trade Qualcomm. It's always the uh, forward guidance that gets you. It's the guy that scared people. I mean, the stock went from 50 to wherever, wherever it traded up to recently, north of 90, in a pretty much, pretty much a straight line. Chips have been doing really well. The guide scares people. I think valuation is reasonable. I don't think it's a terrible quarter at all. I mean, you're going to get a chance to probably buy this stock closer to maybe $82, and I think you'll load up again. It's been a great story, and this quarter doesn't necessarily scare me from that. You know, God just mentioned where this stock has come from. Obviously, they tried to make acquisitions. There was activists involved. They had a lot of stock to buy back, that sort of thing. Listen, with a $100 billion market cap and the thing goes lower, and given their positioning in 5G in mobile in particular, this company could be on the block. I mean, this could be an acquisition target for, like, an Intel, which is not in mobile. This I mean, is that, one of the you know, that's exposed sort of so, to 5G. So yes. I think once the coronavirus starts to dissipate, I think you're going to get the 5G tailwind kick back in. I think it's a buying opportunity. All right, let's move on to Yum China. That stock also moving lower on its results. And Kate Rogers is back at headquarters uh, with more on those numbers. Hi, Kate. Hey there, Tyler. So a f- fairly strong fourth quarter for Yum China. The company reporting EPS that beat expectations. Revenues were right in line. Same store sales increased 2%, led by growth in KFC, while Pizza Hut sales were flat. Now, this is the company's 13th consecutive quarter of growth since its spinoff from Yum Brands. But coronavirus may impact its sales going forward in a major way. One third of its stores have been temporarily closed in China. It also said same store sales were down between 40 and 50 percent since the Chinese New Year holiday among its stores that remained open. In a statement, the company said that since the start of the year, the novel coronavirus outbreak in China has significantly impacted the company's operations. The situation is complex and rapidly evolving, and the company cannot yet fully ascertain the expected impact. However, based on information currently available, the company believes that the outbreak is likely to have a materially adverse impact on the company's operating and financial results for the first quarter of 2020 and full year 2020. CEO Joey Watt added that despite this challenge and disruption to our business, we remain confident in the long-term market potential in China. So about 9,200 locations there, about a third of them are temporarily closed. Really big numbers here, guys. We'll have All to right. see what happens moving forward. Back okay, thank you. you very much. Uh, Karen, I'm yeah. told you have been buying Young China have, recently. What, right. do you, what do you make of this? Well, despite the challenge challenges and disruption, I'm, I'm optimistic on the long-term potential, just like the CEO just said. I think, you know, the revenue in line was maybe a tad disappointing, even with the beat, but I think they're going to get somewhat of a free pass for the next quarter or two on weakness from coronavirus. They still, uh, you know, ex- expect to expand the store count meaningfully. So I like it. It, it was 50 two weeks ago. And so it's, you know, it's down, what, 3%, 43 uh, I think it's... Uh, As a long-term play, you're comfortable yes. buying more of it, I assume. A comfortable, not delighted, but not yes. Not delighted, but all right. But I'm owning Good. it for the longer term. All right. Let's go to uh, Bob Pisani, who's got uh, news on Casper. That company has priced its IPO. Bob. Uh, well, reportedly, Dow Jones is reporting that Casper is pricing its IPO at $12 a share. That's citing a source here 
That's really the bottom of the range. They already announced a haircut this morning for its expected price range, 8.4 million shares, 17 to 19 initially. Then it was cut to 12 to 13. So it looks like it's pricing at the bottom of that greatly reduced range. There's a number of issues here. First, and I think most importantly, the days of growth at any cost look like they're over. Investors have been pushing back against money-losing companies. You either have to be profitable or, in this case, you take a haircut. Another issue, selling direct to consumer is a problem. These firms spend a lot of money to get market share, and investors are concerned about the cost of acquiring new customers and what will happen when all the spending eventually stops. Finally, there's plenty of competition out there from well-known old-school firms like Temper Sealy, which is publicly traded and which is profitable, although old-school, and then there's lesser-known direct-to-consumer competitors like Purple Innovations. You can't blame Casper's troubles on a poor IPO market, not this time, or a poor equities market. The Renaissance Capital IPO ETF, this is a basket of the most recent 60 or so large IPOs. It hit an historic high today. Former laggards like Lyft and Uber and Zoom have all done really well in 2020. And Tyler, last few days, one medical went public last week. It's trading well. Reynolds Consumer went public last week. It's trading well uh, on top of that. So the IPO market is doing very well right now. Back to you. Robert, thank you very much. We have much too much personal information on this desk. Regarding? Including <laughs> the idea that you have a Casper mattress. you damn tootin' I do. Yeah. See, you should have gone to Bob. You should have way I would have thrown it to him, love. Well, I'm going to go to the mattresses with Bob Pisani. <laughs> oh. That's a very Italian thing. But look at me with my uh, Casper thing. Look at that. Look at very that. Odd. Look at that. Do that? Look and I will tell you this, not only is the human mattress outstanding, the dog mattresses are out of this world. Don't ask me how I know, but what I'll tell you is I'll find my three dogs on that Casper mattress every single night. With that said, they're making mattresses, Tyler. They're making mattresses. I know they have brick-and-mortar places where you can go sleep, but don't you want to try out a mattress before you buy it? Yeah, you do. And the problem is with a lot of these things, they give you 100 nights free yeah. or they give you a 90 or whatever it is, yeah, 180 nights free. That. And then people send them back and then people try to rotate through all the ones that you're not sure you want to buy. So you take 100 nights on this one, send it back, 100 nights on this one, send it back. So I think it's a problem for the whole industry and the cost of acquisition, as Bob said, and the fact that they don't make money. So there's too much competition. They don't make money. And everyone's sending these mattresses back after 100 nights anyway. And when you look at what's happened to the valuation of this company or what the CEO thought the valuation would or should be, I can't help, I don't mean to be a jerk in saying this, that, that, that this is the we work of sleep. I mean, this company was supposed to be... Well, that, that's not exactly fair when you think about... Uh, no, the I'm not, who's corporate, about no, fairness? Well, the corporate yeah, governance on. and this and that or whatever. I, I mean, I, you, know, I, you know what I'm saying. But, yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, these were VC-funded businesses. Right. They were out there to acquire customers, have growth. They make a great product. There's a lot of great products. I love Lyft. I love Uber. I love Uber Eats. I love, you know, I love my, you know, WeWork. But, yeah, but the Peloton. <laughs> but, but they've all been subsidized. And, and, and yeah. I guess public investors Inflated. are just taking a slightly different view inflated, about the right? earnings potential fair. and the competition. Am I fair to say inflated? Oh, I don't think it's inflated. I mean, listen, you know, I don't think you can... Are these air if you just wanted to say the we work of this because a VC, uh, like... Bid up the price over a year. That's one thing. I think that the yeah. WeWork had some other very. Good May I address yes. something before we go to the commercial break, which we need to go to quickly? Yes, we do. We've been doing this show now for north of thirteen years, Tyler, as you know. Thirteen. Years. And a lot of absurd things have been said in those thirteen years. 
But I Dan Nathan through? saying it's obvious that I work out a lot is now reached the zenith of absurdity. <laughs> so what are we going to do? Are we going to do our Peloton challenge? We should. We should the call Fast Money Peloton, Peloton Challenge. Peloton challenge. We're putting it out Peloton there. I'm in. I'm in. We're all in. We're all in. All Let's right. go. You, you, we got to go right now. We got, you can get a uh, wrap of all of today's earnings on our website at CNBC.com. Here's what else we've got coming up on Fast. Coronavirus fears seem to have lost their grip on the markets, with major indexes climbing back toward record highs. Have investors now fully turned their attention back to fundamentals? We dig in. And later, are options traders rolling the dice on win before it reports earnings tomorrow? What the markets are saying about that stock? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. It was a great day for the bulls on Wall Street. The S&P and Nasdaq posting record closes and the Dow jumping more than 480 points. With stocks touching fresh record highs, our next guest says don't chase the rally. He's Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Why do you say such a crazy thing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Stocks going up 100% in a month. That might be a little bit of froth. China throwing a ton of money at the situation. The Fed throwing a ton of money at the situation. What we've been saying is you should have put cyclicality on. You should have put risk on. Now what you want to do is you want to start harvesting it. You want to save that risk for a rainy day. But at some point, we're going to have a repricing of risk. So take these opportunities to start repositioning the portfolio. And just there's a lot of things, opportunities we see out there, but more so on the lower risk side of the equation. What are those opportunities? So we're starting, we didn't like the bond proxies for a long time. We're starting to pick up some of the bond proxies. Late last year, we downgraded the semis. We're not going back to the semis, but at the same time, we said take some profit on banks. When you say bond proxies, you're talking about REITs, you're talking about utilities, what? Uh, Exactly. We're talking about REITs, we're talking about utilities, we're talking about low-vol and low-vol products. Uh, Anything that has a yield, anything that works or has interest rate sensitivity, so as rates go down, they work. Um, The other thing that we're doing is we're looking at uh, banks. We started to pound the table on banks in September. Back in December, we said, you know, it might be time to lighten up a little bit. I think it's time to get back in there. And so we're slowly starting to add a little bit more risk. Or actually what we're trying to do is we're trying to add some contrarian opportunities. How about the stuff that's been awful, like energy? (laughs) I got that question today. And energy is a tough one for us because we do see a lot of value. We're just not sure how you extract it at this point in time. So for us, what we're, look, what we're doing is we're looking for that best risk reward. So we did upgrade banks back in the fall, but we couldn't get behind energy. And we're still looking at it, but we just can't get there. 
you talk about harvesting. You told me what you, you you're looking at adding right. some of the defense. What would you harvest here? So we've been harvesting a lot of the higher risk stuff, and that's been in the semi space. That's been in the technology space, and, and really that's where we want to take some money off the table because it's performed so well. If you look at the semi space, if you look at the software space, really big numbers last year. Um, this year, that can continue to go further, but we think um, you want to be a little bit more conservative. You want to be patient because at some point we are going to have a five to ten percent pullback. What, what could trip it? If, what, if you, what could trip the market? I mean, c- coronavirus did for a right. few days. So I think the biggest fear, and I think the biggest misunderstanding, is everyone thinks, "Oh, the Fed, the Fed's being really accommodative. They're buying sixty billion dollars of T bills every month." That's true. But what's happening is repos are rolling off at the same time. So believe it or not, the Fed's balance sheet didn't grow in January. It actually contracted. And so when people realize that the heavy lifting by the Fed is done, I think we're going to see a repricing of risk. You, know, you mentioned that China has obviously thrown a lot of money to kind of stem the tide in their stock market. But that doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot about their economy. Do you think that what we're seeing here is just a bunch of window dressing? We know that the Fed has obviously been accommodative. We know that we had those rate cuts. Now you have China. Right. You have the rest of the world is in on this game. But at some point, no matter, let's just say we stop getting the sort of increases in the deaths and the cases of corona, but economic activity has just slowed, and maybe it doesn't come back at the pace. Do you think there's a chance that the stock market right now is kind of just kind of, you know, shading over what could be a, uh, you know, a slower economic growth? I, I don't know if it's shading over. What the stock market is saying is, if you're going to throw that kind of liquidity at it, if you're going to tell me you're going to provide that, that kind of backstop, I'm going to have to go out on the risk curve and down the capital structure in the short term. But I think you're right. Longer term, what's going to happen is if you were a raging bull, if you were Jake LaMotta, what you were saying is, hey, China's going to be really strong. China's going to spill over to Europe. Europe's going to spill over into the U.S. And that's all going to happen as soon as we turn the calendar. Phase one's going to be great. But wait a minute. Phase one, we're starting to hear pushback on phase one. And oh, by the way, China, I don't know what's happening exactly, what's happening with coronavirus. But what we do know is the prevention, it's slowing down. Um, economic activity. It's starting to seep into people's thoughts. And what I believe is you're going to have a delay of any sort of economic activity. And so as a consequence, you have to take a little bit off the top. And so your growth or your upside is not going to be all that great. Chris Harvey, thanks very much. We appreciate you being here. Now we're going to talk about him. Okay? Smart talk man. about Chris. How do we trade? What well, he's gone, so I'm not going to bring him back. But, you know, I think people are underestimating. You know, if the, Fed, if the Fed's balance sheet has stopped growing and if it starts to contract in April, May, when I think is when they said they're going to sort of stop this lunacy, I don't think the market's at all looking at that or they, they should be looking at it. And a 15 VIX environment, I think they're pricing risk the wrong way right now. The market wants a reason to sell off. And the market's going to get a reason to sell off. And eventually we're going to hit that 3K mark because that's where people want to get back in the market. All righty, coming up, a biotech breakout. Check out shares of Biogen bursting after winning a long-fought patent case. We'll get to the details. But first, Dan's got a fast pitch on stock. He says he's primed to rev up. And no, we're not talking about Tesla. We're not talking about baseball. We'll see if others buy his idea. Fast Money is back after this. Maybe it's Rawlings. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Got breaking news on the coronavirus. New numbers out of China. 
And Meg Terrell has the details. Meg. Hey, Tyler. Case numbers now above 27,000, coming in at 27,626. That's almost 3,000 more cases. Uh, they are confirming 564 total deaths. That's 70 more than we had uh, yesterday. Uh, now, the World Health Organization is saying today that the case counts we got last night was the biggest single-day increase uh, that they've had since the outbreak began. That was 3,156. So today's uh, 2,987 new cases is slightly slower than that, Tyler, but still a big increase. Can you draw any conclusions about the speed of transmission based on these, these daily updates? Uh, people have said broadly the speed of transmission does look like uh, it, it is potentially accelerating, Tyler, um, compared just with yesterday and today. Not quite as big of, of a, a jump as we saw uh, to yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. So that is encouraging potentially, but these numbers do keep climbing pretty fast. Right, Meg, thank you very much. And uh, for more, tune in to CNBC's special report, Outbreak Coronavirus, tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's move on from that. Tesla has been on the tip of everyone's tongues lately, but our Dan Nathan sees another auto stock that is ready to rev higher. He's over at the plasma for a fast pitch. Dan, it's all yours. Yeah, let's talk about GM a little bit. Like, as we were just talking about the other one, the, uh, the Tesla here, the fever might have broken a little bit. There's obviously a lot of excitement. I mean, Kathy Wood just laid it out, excitement about the opportunity on autonomous. Obviously, electric vehicles is a big one. But I think to not think about this as it relates to GM would be um, a big mistake here. The company reported their Q4, and they got it for 2020 today. And miraculously, the stock was not down. You know, Ford, its competitor was down down nearly 10% on its outlook here. So after that uh, strike last year, the Q4 was a bit of a disappointment. I think investors are okay with the stock's valuation here, trading at the midpoint of the five-year range here, and they possibly see some upcoming catalyst for this thing. You obviously watched the Super Bowl. You saw that King James, the goat in the NBA, is going to be hawking their uh, electric vehicle, their Hummer, that's going to be out in May, or at least released in May. Um, and that might be a catalyst for the stock going forward. And then today, the head of their cruise unit, that is the autonomous um, driving unit, was talking, throwing out some big, big numbers about the opportunity there. Maybe $8 trillion market for ride-hailing autonomous. They have a big stake in cruise. That could be a catalyst for this stock um, going forward. And then and lastly, let's just look at the technicals here. You know, to me, this thing might set up as a really good trade into the spring, especially if we have a stable market. Let's go to the charts. This is the one-year chart. It's obviously been in a pretty well-defined downtrend. It's down about 16% from its 52-week highs. But look at this low last week. You can just draw a line, make a nice little double bottom there. It's really got to hold that 33 level. But to my eye, you might be able to see a breakout of that downtrend on any decent news going forward. And then the last one I just want to look at, this is, the tra uh, this is the chart since its 2010 re-IPO after the financial crisis here. There's the line. That's the uptrend. You see that it held it to a T, as my main man Carter would say, to the penny, to the penny, to the penny. So that's really where you want to stop this thing out. And I'll just mention another thing. If you want to do this, you want to look out to the spring and you want to say that that EV launch could be a big catalyst for this company and then maybe some of the enthusiasm about Tesla flows into some of these competitors that are coming to the market. One way to play this is you could look out to June expiration, the June 35 calls with the stock at 35 or $1.80, that's 5% of the stock price. That is your stop in this thing. So I like this as a defined risk trade right here. And the stock sets up pretty nicely. It's fairly cheap. There's some catalysts. Obviously, if we have an economic downturn globally, they're going to sell less cars. This is going to break. That's why I think you define your risk in this one. I was going to quickly ask Dan about the options. Uh, is volatility low enough where it makes sense, and GM specifically, where it makes sense to play this through yeah, options? I, I think that when 
when you can get an at-the-money call that's giving you the exposure to the upside out to June expiration, we are in February now, so about four months, and pay 5%, that seems pretty fair to me, especially for a company that has been volatile and has underperformed. I would say any good news, and you'll see this thing back towards 40 uh, pretty quickly. Let's pull out our tablets and reveal how we feel. Guy, oh, you want to start with me? I love starting with me. No. Well, like so you. You, you know, um, uh, what's the guy that used to be on TV? Regis Ridge. Feldman? Yeah. Well, he used to say Dan knows a lot. We probably have the sound bite. Dan does know a lot. Yeah. I'm with, I'm, I'm with Dan. In with Dan. Yeah. Karen. Yes. I'm in with Dan also. Go, GM, go. Uh, drawing abilities. But, yeah, I love Mary Barr. I love the valuation. And you. I'm going to say not just yet. Still in a declining trend line from August of 2019. You know what was down to the petty, too? The 50-day moving average is 35.46. The stock topped out at 35.45. Wait till it trades above the 100-day, which is 36.11. All right. The desk has spoken. Now it's your turn. Do you buy Dan's pitch on GM? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will, I promise, reveal the results later in the show. Plus, check out Biogen's big breakout. What is behind that move? We'll have those details ahead when Fast Money returns in two short minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Biogen surging into the close today on news regarding its top-selling MS drug. Meg Terrell is at headquarters with the details. Meg? Well, hey again, Tyler. Biogen won a highly anticipated patent decision today on its biggest drug, Tecfidera, for multiple sclerosis. Its patent had been challenged by generics company Mylan, and investors have put about a 50-50 chance on Biogen winning. Now, this doesn't take all IP risk off the table for the drug, though. Biogen still faces another decision expected by late summer or fall, though analysts say the win today could increase its chances there as well. Now, the drug, which drew $4.4 billion in 2019 revenue, has market exclusivity until 2028, unless, of course, a forthcoming decision doesn't go its way. Biogen investor attention now turns to the Alzheimer's space, where the company is expected to file for FDA approval of its drug any day. And that, of course, is the reason for the massive fall and then rise of its stock in the last year. And analysts expect that roller coaster could continue this year as that drug makes its way through the regulatory process. Tyler? Who has a thought on Biogen? Too hot well, to touch or not? No, it's not too hot to touch. I mean, we talked about this in the spring. The, the market was completely discounting everything Biogen had going for it when this was trading down to 220. I was shocked it traded that low, and it's sort of shocked that it traded there as long as it did. But I think Biogen's just getting going. This was a plus, absolutely, but the Alzheimer's news could be potentially huge. You could talk about a stock, and I, I don't like to speak, speak in hyperbole, but I will here. I mean, they get favorable rulings there. This stock could go up a twofer from where it is currently. So 360 is the last huge level of the upside. I think we're going there. So the issue with that is it's binary, right? So Meg did her spot, and she said it was 50-50 on the Myelin outcome. And Myelin's going to appeal the case. To Guy's point, yes, on the Alzheimer's drug, if it comes back and it's great, then the stock can go up, the sky's the limit. But if it doesn't, the stock craters. You buy the IBB, you don't have that binary issues there, and you get Gilead, you get Amgen, you get Vertex, and you get Biogen in there as well, I would stick with an ETF to buy this space. All right, there you see the uh, biotech ETF up 2.5% today alone. Coming up, casino stocks feeling the heat as the coronavirus spreads. How can you trade these names? That when Fast Money returns. Our first priority as a company is unequivocally to tend to the safety and health of our teammates in China, the employees of our partners, and to consumers. 
Now, consistent with what's going on right now, roughly half of our stores in China, both our Nike-owned stores and our partner stores, are temporarily closed. And those that are open are operating under reduced hours. And so there's lower traffic, and that's why we announced yesterday there'll be a, a reduction in our China results this quarter. That was Nike's new CEO, John Donahoe, speaking exclusively to uh, Sarah Eisen on the impact of the coronavirus. Karen, any thoughts here about Nike or more broadly? Well, I, I, I love Nike. It's a fantastic company. I don't own it. For me, the multiple at north of 33 is why. I mean, it's an extraordinary company. They deserve a premium multiple. I don't know if it should be this much. It's only come in just a few bucks off the, off the high, even with coronavirus. So I've been looking for stuff that has either bounced back a lot to sell or come in a lot to buy. It's sort of in no man's land, but a great company. All right. We're going to move from there to casinos. They are also under pressure as the coronavirus spreads. The major players all lower this year uh, due to the Macau exposure. But when Wynn Resorts reports earnings tomorrow, one options trader bets the stock could be due for a win. Yeah. Options play chief strategist Tony Zhang is here to break down the action. Where are the chips falling, Tony? So, Tyler, Wynn reports earnings tomorrow after the close. And if we look at options, it's implying a 6.2% move, which is significantly larger than what we've seen over the last four quarters, of about 2.7%. I think this reflects the market's fear on the coronavirus and their exposure in China. Now, today, what we saw earlier was a fairly large 806 contract risk reversal traded. Now, to break down this trade, the seller sold March 20 110 puts, which are fairly out of the money for $1.73, and used that premium to pay for a March 150 call, which also is fairly far out of the money for $1.78. Net-net, this trader paid about $0.05 cents for this particular spread. Uh, and if we to understand this particular strategy, we have to look at the risk profile at expiration, which requires about a 14% move to the upside to break even, and about a 9% move to, move to the downside to break even to the downside. But to understand this particular trade, the, before expiration, the trade actually acts pretty much like a stock. So this trader has a notional uh, stock value of about $3.5 million w while putting just a s small amount of capital at risk to take this long stock exposure going into earnings. Any quick thoughts on a trade here? On Tony does a great job. I mean, Tony is... Cr crushing it. But I'll say quickly, at 135, win is in absolute no man's land in terms of the range it's been over the last six months. Right. I think you wait for earnings to see how it shakes out. All right, Tony, thanks very much. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show this Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be here. You should be, too. <laughs> Up next, are you buying Dan's pitch on GM? It's your last chance to vote on our Twitter poll, CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results plus the final trade. Stick with us right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out, find out if you bought into Dan's fast pitch on GM. Let's take a look. Did you say yes or no? Sorry to say, Dan, but it looks like your pitch stalled out. No, it was a no. You'll get over it. It'll be all right. <laughs> time for our final trades. Let's go around the horn. Mr. Grasso, you first. This is a name that I've been long and it has not performed. I'm suffering, but I'm still in it. TSE, I think upside is eventually 
coming. I'm turning blue, waiting for it. All right, Karen. Yes, I have one that also has not performed, but I'm I'm waiting with it as well. UPS. I, I'm looking through coronavirus. Looking through fine. coronavirus. Yes. Dan, up yeah, to so you. Yeah, so back to that GM. I think you, you stop. You're in on thirty-three. Is Dublin the stop, and you can also do it with calls, which also stop you out down there. All right. You know what did perform, guy. Tyler? You did, stud. Oh, nice. Ooh. Nicely done. And so did United Health. You and last one. We got to go. United Health. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Kramer, right now. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.